our bodies are reliable, resilient, strong, powerful, uh, wired for pleasure. Every cell of our skin has a pleasure receptacle. Now is the moment when the drama of my lineage doesn't have to continue to my children. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Today on the podcast, we have one of the women I certainly consider one of the most remarkable I've ever met over the years, Elena Tenetti Vladimirova. Elena is one of the pioneers of the conscious birth movement. From 1982 to 1989, she was one of the original organizers of birth camps at the Black Sea in Russia, where many women gave birth in shallow lagoons in the presence of wild dolphins. If you've taken a hypnobirthing class, you may have seen this in her movie, Birth As We Know It. She's revered as a spiritual midwife to thousands of families and professionals alike. Elena has been training new facilitators in her method, entitled Birth Into Being, since 2004, and her graduates are now teaching her method in all major languages across 22 countries. The key focus of Birth Into Being is to prevent birth complications through healing on the conscious and subconscious levels. Elena was featured in the UN-sponsored book, Force Such As The World Has Never Known, Women Creating Change, as one of the 30 most influential grassroots women in the world. She received the Legendary Leader Award and was a featured keynote speaker at countless conferences. Elena, we are so excited to have you here today. Can we just start off by having you let our listeners know a little bit about you? You started off as a theater actress when you were a young woman in the 80s, and you've made this transition into the work you're doing today. So can we just start off with you telling us a bit about that? Thank you. <laughs> um, I love this opportunity to speak with you. And um, you asked a very big question. Um, at some point, while being an actress in the theater in Russia, I uh, got disenchanted with uh, my profession because the limitations of what I could do, what I could say, were very apparent uh, at some point and I was looking for some different meaning and started thinking about um, the greater picture and I met um, a person called <laughs> who was um, promoting water birth, Igor Cherkovsky and uh, talking with him I could see that he had a very valid point he was um, talking about the correlation between the way we're born and the way we live. It wasn't so much about water birth. It wasn't so much about the actual birth. It was my desire to um, have a meaningful life. That it finally clicked in that this is it. This is that shortest cut through that we can really change the quality of life of this species, the humankind. If we change how we make people, we can change the way we live. 
later I discovered that there is this mechanism called limbic imprinting, that our nervous system is wired to absorb and uh, remember all of our sensory experiences from the moment of conception through gestation, birth, early formative years, uh, until basically we get a strong sense of identity. Our nervous system has this innate ability to absorb, register, and memorize non-cognitively all of our, our experiences. Limbic system of the brain is formed about halfway through um, gestation, four to five months. Deeper research shows that we actually somehow, in a different part of the brain, in the reptilian brain that forms first, we register even pre-sensory experiences. The fact remains that humans were using that mechanism of imprinting for thousands of years. Look at the war animals, the circus animals, the household animals, the way we train um, wild animals that we, uh, we couldn't really make them work for us directly, right? We had to wait for their babies to bring them up. So that fact that we've been exploiting that mechanism with animals uh, is a known fact in history. Uh, but the fact that humans have the same mechanism of imprinting um, somehow was not very well uh, researched until quite recently, maybe uh, 25, 30 years. But um, knowing about it is one thing. Doing something about it is a whole other thing. The um, good news comes from the fact that we're not just our physical body. We're not just our fingerprints or color of our eyes. Even though it stays there, we can actually uh, do a lot of things to expand the range of frequencies that we would be able to function in and communicate with others and create um, a deeper connection with, uh, with ourselves. If our limbic imprint was negative, if we had some kind of um, traumatic experiences during our gestation, birth, few years of formative period, if it was less than blissful, um, we were struggling with it until we decided to stop struggling. Turns out that we can actually claim that um, remote control, that in all the spiritual traditions of the world was called free will. And actually over um, overcome the, the cage. The limbic imprint becomes the cage. It's there for a good reason. It's there as our survival mechanism because, for example, uh, mama bear cannot send her cub to school okay. and let the cub, here, honey, read the books and they will tell you how to be a bear, right? We can't really do that. So this limbic imprint is there to... Um, allowed the baby bear to absorb everything that mama bear is doing, how she eats, how she sleeps, how she hunts, what, what, whatever she needs to do to survive. 
Now you heard about this in the eighties before there was all the research that we have today on this subject. So what was it? It, it struck you as just intuitively being onto something. What did you do from there? Um, it's very different. What we did there depended a lot of the personality of uh, Igor Cherkovsky, who was um, a very powerful Siberian shaman, really. It, he was a seer. He was a healer. He was sharing his um, insights, understanding of how things work. And it's only years and years and years later that I learned English when I moved to America and realized that there are um, already pioneers in that field and now there is a, a vast amount of research. In those days none of it existed and um, none of it was translated into Russian and Russia didn't have this um, area of research. Was this all happening before you started practicing as a midwife where you were gaining this knowledge with him? And then, and what happened when you started practicing as a midwife and how did you do, incorporate this into um, your, your practice as a midwife? From what I know mostly about you is your, um, your work in birthing babies in the Black Sea. It was, it was this after this time? Uh, it was during this time. It was, uh, yes, it was Igor's idea that we need to take birthing women uh, closer to dolphins. Uh, it was just his um, fixation because uh, when he worked with pregnant women, he was doing only one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, and he was putting them into some sort of a trance um, with the... Uh, with some degree of feedback and he was asking them what they're seeing in that trance state and the majority of them was reporting that they were swimming with dolphins it was just coming from this place of uh, you know when you live next to the ocean dolphins are kind of part of the description of the world right when you're in the dead winter in moscow in russia Dolphins are not the symbol of this romantic interspecies communication. It's just fish. You know, in those days, it was dolphins, really. Why? <laughs> okay. And you saw this in multiple women. So can you explain, because I think our listeners must be like, wait, how did they go from talking about this to dolphins? And I'd love them to know that you literally formed what you called a camp on a beach at the Black Sea where women, as you say in, in your movie, they were walking into the, the water and coming out with their babies in their arms. So can you just talk a little bit about what Trisha was asking you about and how dolphins really played an actual role in this? It, it was uh, a process because as we didn't know dolphins or anything about them, they didn't know us. Uh, all they knew about humans was fisheries, the, the fishing boats that were killing them and catching them in nets. They didn't really um, give too much credit to human race. So it was a process to really connect with them. And um, that didn't happen the first year at all. 
that um, they would uh, give us any attention or respect. Um, it, it was like by the middle of second year of actual deliberate um, effort of connecting with them and asking them to forgive us that we're not those people who are killing them, that there are different kinds of people that we're really asking um, their, um, their guidance and cooperation. And it was hours and hours and hours in humble meditation and generating so much love and inquiry to to connect with us because here we are we're doing something that we know nothing about um when you call me a midwife i never actually became a a, a licensed professional midwife because there was absolutely nowhere to go to school for it you know we i i could have gone to actual medical school but uh in the first year when we had a medical doctor there Igor um, said no more doctors allowed because it took so much energy to neutralize his panic attacks and, and his anxiety. And he was so loaded with all the pictures of pathology and, and what if, what can go wrong. And he was just uh, so toxic <laughs> there that we had to ask him to leave. And it was a very a conscious choice not to include medical professionals into what we were doing there. For us, it was always um, the spiritual practice. We had to basically tune out everything that was not in alignment with this blissful denial. You know, that's when I understood that there is two types of denial. There is a dangerous denial when there is an elephant in the room and we don't talk about it and and it's something that suppresses the very life force that doesn't allow us to breathe freely and and feel alive but then there is another type of denial that is actually our magic wand when we deny specific range of frequencies to affect our beautiful future so we can summarize that there is denial yet and denial already like denial before and after <laughs> you know we, we have to go into the denial of uh, negative impact on uh, on our present so right and where that's where the birth preparation comes in exactly Alina, can you tell us a little bit about what the culture of birthing in Russia was like at this time and a little bit more detail about these birth experiences in the Black Sea and how they sort of contrasted? Well, the situation with the birthing in the state facilities in Russia at that point was a pure nightmare. And um, it was just terrifying it was so bad it was humiliating it was unsafe to be there when i came to america a um, few years after i started uh, doing what i'm doing um, i somebody asked me how come in russia th those ideas spread so fast and so easy and in america is just 
not going very well. And uh, I jokingly said, well, it's not bad enough in America because in Russia it <laughs> was bad enough that women who only heard a glimpse of an alternative, that there was a way of avoiding going into one of those facilities, they would just grab and, and, and run with it because it was uh, more terrifying to go with the conventional model than go into the great unknown. And now with the, the, what we have right now, the situation with the virus, we have bad enough that bad enough is kicking in. So now we have the uh, numbers of home births skyrocketing all over the world in the numbers that we never, ever seen in our lifetime. Very true. It's very true. Elena, can you remind me again and our listeners what years we're talking about here in Russia and then give us a few specifics of um, the hospital birth experience at that time? Um, well, the specifics are <laughs> terrifying, and it's always been like that uh, um, in the history of Soviet Russia. Um, the first floor of the birth house would be um, lined up with hundreds of women coming in the morning to have an abortion uh, without any anesthetics. So there was a lot of screaming going on on the first floor. The second floor, all the women would be laying up to 10 women in a room uh, with one toilet uh, at the end of the long hallway, narrow bed and a little nightstand, and next bed, next bed, a chair away, basically. And... Um, and um, it's just the it's not even that it's the attitude women were um, abused and um, there no such thing as informed consent everything was no no men were not allowed even in the building never mind uh, to see their wife to hug her uh, it would be always a big crowd of men in front of the windows and women's faces in the windows just looking for her husband and you can't even tell because all the women are in the same gown and uh, pale scared and just trying to pantomime to their husbands something that they want to say there's um, and the third floor was all the babies hundreds of babies just stored all you know together and obviously away from their mothers away from their mothers given sugary water with tranquilizers um, to keep them quiet basically um, the babies were kept there for five days without mothers. This is basically the, 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 the situation in Russia we have now. It's generation after generation of babies that were take, whisked away from the mother right after birth and given sugary water with tranquilizers for five days. And you said this is still currently the way babies are born? Um, it, it, they don't have that much uh, facilities. Now it's not five days, maybe two or three days. Um, and it's only about um, 65, 70% of uh, uh, births happening in those facilities. The rest of the 
population is trying to um, reproduce and use birth houses that are um, offering anything and everything you want, a state-of-the-art birth facility, and um, it's very expensive. So sometimes um, a couple has to pay for years and years and years to cover the birth experience, but um, you know, you gotta choose. They couldn't have thought they were doing the best thing for anyone, could they? That's the thing that you don't have the right to ask question or to ask for something or express your needs. Mm -hmm. Like if a pregnant woman gets into that conveyor of a birth house, she is voiceless, she is faceless, she doesn't have, she has a tag and basically it's like a, a prison. It was heartless, most cruel place that, um, that women were trying to avoid uh, by any means. Growing up, I um, basically didn't even know anybody who had second child. So this helps to explain why an alternative was so appealing. But it also helps us to understand why it wasn't so easy as, as walking into the water and walking back out with the baby in our arms. It was all about the preparation and the healing from generations yes. of birth trauma. Exactly. And that was limbically imprinted within the women. And what you were working so hard on is finding the ways for these couples, including the partners, to heal exactly before carrying that into their birth experience. So can you tell us about that part of this? So um, at some point it, it uh, became apparent that somehow in order to change the way women give birth, uh, something needs to happen because pregnant women were coming uh, to have their sessions with Igor absolutely terrified of giving birth. Well, they were just um, as traumatized from their own births, uh, from their mother's births, from everybody else's births that they heard about. And... Um, we're highly uh, suggestible creatures, you know, humans. So if we hear from all of our girlfriends and relatives how horrible it is, we don't really have a way of looking forward to it. And um, what happened next is that Igor, with all his psychic powers, uh, started looking at where does it start? Like in order to undo something, you need to look at it to understand what it is and where, where did it start? So in his sessions, uh, um, he would just sit in front of the woman for two, three hours and wave his arm in front of her and with his eyes closed um, and just tell her her story. And he would... Um, kind of bring it out of her then it would go into what happened to her mother to her grandmother sometimes he would unfold the whole uh, lineage and I would be in the room with them um, on hundreds of uh, occasions and I would be watching in awe how her whole demeanor would change, how the way the woman would walk out of the room was a different person than walked in two, three hours ago. 
what Igorь was doing, he was kind of neutralizing the impact of all those stories on her. He was able to disconnect her from the drama, free her from that uh, inheritance that was handed down to her that was not really her, but it was kind of, um, she absorbed it with the mother's milk, as they say, as we all did. We all absorb all our history for many, many generations past. When we're gestating, when we're young, we don't have any censorship mechanism. We just take what's given. And that's what limbic imprint is. But then when we mature, when we unfold uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then when we decide that now is the moment when the drama of my lineage doesn't have to continue to my children. Just think about the history of humankind. It's bloody violent history of wars, domestic violence, of all kinds of abuse of the sacred feminine. Women were not even treated as people until quite recently in the history of humankind. Women were uh, treated as property, women were powerless, voiceless, it's like a piece of furniture, so something we have to have in the house when we grow up, right? And uh, the, the sacredness of our people-making was completely um, in the dark ages. It, it was treated as something that we just have to somehow, um, you know, endure and uh, just, uh, um, just something really horrible will happen and then boom, the new human being appears. But this is really against the nature of the intelligence of the life force because we have now in medical textbooks that women are unable to give birth themselves, that they have to be helped, that the baby's body has to be mechanically or chemically extracted out of the mother's body. Oh, come on. Really? I heard a woman say once that her doctor actually said this to her. Oh, women were never meant to give birth vaginally. What? Well, that is, yeah, that is his imprint. That is actually in writing in medical textbooks that some guy wrote, you know, women were not writing those textbooks because no woman in the world would write some such nonsense. Yeah. But uh, this is exactly the approach of medical uh, profession prevalent all over the world. And the undoing of this, the undoing of this thinking, how many, how many decades does it take? How many centuries does it take? I mean, it, it's, you know, there's movement in the right direction, but it is so profoundly imprinted. Well, uh, see how long does it take the virus to shut down our civilization, basically. I was actually talking about it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I was talking about exactly that. If we rely so heavily on professional help, what would happen if that professional help is not available? We have to 
know how to procreate without mechanical and chemical uh, help of some guy in a masked face. That this culture that we're all in that distrusts birth is out there, but the real problem is when we believe it, when we buy into it. And it's never going to change on its own. It's only going to change when we change, when we start demanding otherwise, when we start seeking elsewhere, because that system is there, but it can't exist without us, the pregnant women, buying into it and becoming compliant. Absolutely. There is, uh, um, I gave up on trying to go after convincing doctors and politicians. I just decided to put all my uh, focus and energy on educating women. That's why I made the movie, because it can go much further and, and much faster than I can in person we have the capacity to activate the innate knowledge that didn't come through our own birth, but exists in our species for hundreds of thousands of years. So the fact that you and I are talking right now means that our DNA memory contains that survival mechanism that our ancestors had what it takes to not die with all the turmoils, all the, the hardships, all the challenges that life was throwing at them, they survived. We have every single cell in our body has almost two yards of DNA strand. It's absolutely phenomenal mystery that we know nothing about, no matter how much we can think that we know a lot, that our science is advanced. Try again. It's, uh, yeah, all this mystery is in there. So this is what we need to draw on. This is what we need to call forth in order to activate our knowledge about graceful, peaceful, ecstatic delivery of the next baby that we are going to have. So Elena, how does healing happen? They need to find out all the different ways that they can shift internally on their own and what kind of help is available around. There are people doing this work, doing incredible work of educating, helping pregnant women. One thing I um, want to say for sure is that um, whatever you do needs to activate the cortex, the limbic and reptilian brain at the same time with the same intensity the cortex is our cognitive function, our ability to be rational, logical, responsible, um, an adult, right? Then there is reptilian part of the brain. It's our pure physiology. That's what makes our uh, breathing, our digestion, that governs the, 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 the pumping of the blood in our veins. Um, that's the part that opens the cervix. That's the part that actually makes makes the baby. That that's what uh, allows a woman to get pregnant or doesn't allow a woman to get pregnant. And the limbic part of the brain, it's like a set of chambers. That's the part of the brain responsible for our emotions and sensory experiences. So, in the fully functioning body all three parts are working as a team they're working together to 
to stay focused and achieve the desirable result. Um, if, uh, for example, I decide something, uh, my body is providing the energy and uh, stamina to achieve it, and my emotions are actually inspiring me to want to move in that direction. Uh, this, this is how they work as a team. The normal state is an absolute divorce of all the three parts. I want one thing, I do another thing, and I want something else. It, it's uh, when all the parts of our beingness are working against each other. That's uh, counterproductive. That's when we don't move anywhere. And if we're going into talk therapy, we're just engaging the cortex. If we're going to yoga or just go for a walk or take a bath, it's just reptilian brain addressing the body, the, the, the function of phys physiology. If we are doing something with our emotional um, um, aspect, it disengages the body and the cortex. So whatever practice you choose, it needs to employ all three parts so they will create a new reference point in the nervous system. No matter how we label them, there is thoughts, there is emotions, and then there is physiology that needs to work together in order to achieve, in order to create magical beautiful experience for yourself because everything else is going to be lacking something it sounds to me like you're explaining what a lot of people refer to as the state of flow like when a person is in their flow when everything is just firing together the way it should when you're sort of at like your maximum level of energy and inspiration and creativity and and confidence and that's the place where women need to go when they're having a baby. Exactly. I imagine the difference when a woman gives birth from that place or from place of being terrified and Fear helpless. and disconnection. And so how does a woman work? Like, what are some specific things that you can tell women to do to, one, get to that place, and two, recognize and know and trust when they are in that place? Well, um, there is um, a lot of help available and there is a lot of things that she can do on her own, just with her own intention uh, and research. Um, one reason why I have 40 of those processes in my program, because I want not to leave any rocks unturned, because we have to deal with our personal, our own birth trauma is the main uh, source of complications at birth but then our uh, mother's uh, history the grandmother's history our the lineage uh, what happened there we need to undo the damage from the the impact of those situations then there is the father of the baby who also has his birth trauma, his mother's birth trauma in his side of the family. So then there is all the complexity of socioeconomical um, situation that are affecting her. Then the sexual trauma is a very big one. Anything has to do with this 
portal through which the baby is going to come out plays a big part. Mm -hmm. So we need to address the sexual uh, history of the woman and the father of the baby because he might have some dramatic experience in his sexual history that is also part of the equation basically the birthing field is a cauldron it's a spinning vortex of creation so um everyone who is involved their uh, drama is influencing it so we kind of need to weed out all of those uh, bits and pieces uh, so um, one of the main thing is also the woman's relationship with herself. How much of herself she is actually embodying. Mm -hmm. Because if she's just nominally present, may, she's maybe physically present and mentally present, but is she emotionally present for herself, for her life, for her partner, for her baby? Is she... Um, able to really connect on soul to soul level or there is some trauma in her past that is preventing her from uh, ability to connect it's not like she doesn't want it she she maybe wants it with all her being but it's just there is the 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 rock blocking the exit of that cave the conscious mind the emotional uh, aspect and the physiology they all are equal neither one of them is less important in the eastern tradition we have to get out of the body to feel good in the western spirituality we have to die in order to feel good it's like bodies viewed as an obstacle but you can't give birth from that place that belief is removing the very <laughs> magical journey of the body of procreating when a woman becomes the creator. That's the greatest mystery there is. And overlooking it and treating it, uh, taking it for granted, never paid off. The body is our absolute, absolute grace and gift we have to honor and respect and love that amazing body for its ability for for all the the senses that we have you know i actually started counting the senses that we have i counted uh, 209 senses senses 209 senses. Yes. where are they all <laughs> they're on my website where are they within us they're everywhere <laughs> i listed them all look <laughs> i have a, a list of, all the, of of a description of our sensory apparatus when we were told in school that we have five senses that's a highway robbery and we have a lot to teach our children because most of the senses require activation mm. because they were dormant in us they were dormant in our parents in uh, all the ancestry that we can remember it was not safe to have senses activated because the bloody history of humankind did not leave too much room for us to be sensitive we would be overwhelmed and terrified if exactly. all our senses were activated exactly so we had to in order to survive we had to go numb 
So now is the time to claim our exquisite, absolutely exquisite sensory apparatus and help our children activate all of the capacity that they're capable of. Uh, muscles atrophy when we don't use them. So because we did not know to train our senses, we lost them. Telepathy, empathy, nociception, electroception, proprioception, some of them, there are no names. Like, for example, the sense that we train, we deliberately teach ourselves to recognize that sensation that we need to go to the bathroom, wow. for example. You know, it's a sense that we train our children to act upon, but we don't, like, the sense, what do we call it? That I need to urinate or I need to poo, you know, that's kind of... Yeah, but you're yeah, right. It's, it's, a, it is a, it's a sense just exactly. like seeing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Elena, if a woman's mother, if a pregnant woman's mother had a beautiful birth, let's say, if she came into the world in, through a really positive way, does that indicate that the healing has already happened? Yes. Okay. She resets it. Her mother reset it somehow. Yes. yes. That's the magic of birth. A beautiful birth brings healing not only for the future generations, but back. <laughs> Seven generations back. It, it basically liberates the, the, the whole line. It goes, it heals back? I only meant, did it, did it indicate her daughter would have that part activated? appropriately but it heals going back in what sense in every sense everything is connected everything is connected with this virus is helping us understand how deeply we are connected and it's not only linear connection it's like horizontal connection it's like the bond has been broken like it's it's multi-dimensional connection too and uh, this multi-dimensional connection exists within the uh, female lineage when um, one woman steps up and breaks the spell it frees her ancestors from that spell i still am curious if there were just steps like it is it hypnosis is it reiki is it acupuncture is it psychotherapy it's all of it i assume just start somewhere anywhere you start use everything um do something in my program of course that's why there is 40 processes Mm -hmm. because i use everything we move a lot I talk a lot, as you can imagine, but mainly it's uh, very tactile. It's experiential. We role play. We we make stuff up. We we just it, it's uh, basically non structured flow. We we as a group create uh, that vortex, and then that vortex takes everyone to where they need to go. I. I so everybody's modality is different. It's just important that you bring it to the surface. Exactly. And different breathing techniques, a lot of touch, a lot of altered states, because you can't go into that alignment of three parts of the brain just by 
I think I'm going to go into that line. It's just not going to happen because we don't have a reference point for it. In order to create that reference point, you need to go into a slightly altered state. That's where the ticket is because you need to go beyond the story, the poor me story, the idea of what your identity is the one that is afraid of something that's identity but that's a fake identity true identity is absolutely free from fear from concerns from worries it's blissful that grace and bliss is our true identity our bodies are reliable resilient strong powerful uh, wired for pleasure every cell of our skin has a pleasure receptacle most of them are turned off <laughs> right? Yeah, for good reason, for our enjoyment and pleasure and use. You know? But how many of uh, women in our generation had the chance to use every one of those pleasure receptacles? As with your own birth, as with the global situation with this virus, as with any um, complex situation in your life, like whatever challenges you're facing, Stay focused on what you actually want. Please be strong in that vision of the beautiful future. If you enjoy our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple iTunes and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Podcast or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthpodcast.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice or a professional healthcare provider. The ideas presented represent our own thoughts and opinions and those of our guests. As always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Right now, you remember absolutely everything that ever happened, every movie you saw, every book you read, everything you've ever uh, seen or was exposed to. It's just our ability to access it is limited because your ability to access it instantly was not activated. But the, the brain has uh, absolutely immense storage and everything is still in there. Even if somebody listening to this would say, oh my goodness, those hippie chicks that <laughs> are talking about something really weird, you know, my church doesn't tell me any of that, so it should be a lie, you know. It's still, if they listened so far, it will sprout at some point in the future. A seed has been planted. Yep. And maybe they were meant to hear it at this time in their lives. Exactly. If they're listening, it means that it will work.